Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. If you take pride in your canna nerdiness or are just canna curious, this kit empowers you to find more about the best cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, and Endo Align products matching in your state. There will also be suggested dosage guidelines and optimum methods for inhalation or usage. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, Endo DNA is celebrating their new patent with a buy one, get one offer on their Afika soft gel lineup. And since I know that many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Afika Unwind, created to support health sleep cycles using patented proprietary formulations of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are in your future. Buy one for yourself and get one for a friend at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at the checkout for 25% off your DNA test kit. It's funny because we're not just like in the middle of nowhere. We actually are in a more commercial area. Mm -hmm. Um, So people know where we are. They can smell it. This is The Cannamom Show, a podcast chronicling the inspiring stories of real women in the emerging cannabis industry. Your host, Joyce Gerber, mom, lawyer, political activist, has been speaking with women from coast to coast and around the world who are leaders in the revolution of cannabis and caregiving, continuing on her mission to lift up the stories of the women creating the cannabis industry by sharing their canna stories with you. So go make yourself a cup of tea or roll yourself a joint, sit back and learn something new about this magical plant on The Cannamom Show with Joyce Gerber. From the Tip O'Neill Studios in North Cambridge, Massachusetts, it's the Cannamom Show. Now here's your host, Joyce Gerber. Welcome back. Uh, We are back. We are continuing our mission of crushing that stigma around cannabis and caregivers one canna story at a time. Thank you for joining us. So Dave, we're having like a weird weather week. We had a little like spring-like moment this morning. We had torrential downpours last night. We had some snow a couple of days ago. Yeah. As usual, the snow was not quite the hype job that it was made out to be. Why do people go to the raid the grocery stores and leave the cupboards bare, leave the shelves bare? Because you never get snowed in for like a week. I mean, maybe a day. So, okay, this is a true story. So I live in Cambridge. My husband decided to go to Market Basket in Somerville on Saturday. So Market Basket is insane anyway. So he decided being, he's like, I'll just walk there, which is like a, like a mile. It's not like down the street. Right. He got to Market Basket. He said it was so insane. He couldn't mm. get a basket. He couldn't actually even get inside. And he had walked. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> did he make it back with some groceries? He did a little. I guess that's the thing. He built his exercise into his day. Right. That's smart. <laughs> Forging. Multitasking. Multitasking. Yeah. That's so funny. That's true. Yeah. So, and it was cold. It's raining. And I did have a little flooding last night next to my grow tent, which was a little unnerving because it has electricity down there. 
Mm, yeah, flooding is just the worst. Yes, it's, so. it makes the a normal person insane. <laughs> so I have learned to lift up my electric. If you have something in the basement, lift up your electrical stuff. It's fresh. just a smart thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> you got to give it some distance. Yeah, give it some distance. All right, let's see what else. Oh, and this weekend, I use my Ardent Decarboxylator. I'll give her a plug. Ardent Decarboxylator from Chanel Lindsay. I've had it for a couple of years. I made my own can of salve. I've never done that before. I did a little wow. video. I know. So cool. I feel like, like I don't know. I, I could live off the land now. I know how to yeah. do this stuff. When I met people who are like, I make my own medicinal products and I do this. I'm like, what? I don't yeah. understand that. Yeah. <laughs> that's something that's totally foreign to me. If there were a zombie apocalypse, I, I'd still be out looking for the last Twinkie in the Seven <laughs> Eleven because I can't grow anything. Me neither. Well, now I'm learning, so you can join me. We'll let you join okay. our pack. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's see. Yes, I'm a, a survivalist now. I do have a culture corner. Let's do that quickly before we introduce our guest. Let's do it. The culture corner. Okay, so this week, I just want to remind our listeners that I am a novelist. I have written a canna romance I'm calling She's Taking a Break. If you've been following me, I've been posting it on my website. I have Chapter 13 up now. And if you're a LinkedIn newsletter for the Canna Mom Show, I've also been putting it there. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to give a brief, like, my query letter overview. And then I'm going to mm-hmm. ask if anyone else wants a hard copy, maybe I'll do, like, print some. Actually print them out and, like, yes. do a giveaway or something because I don't know. I care about me. I think other people might care about me too. So here. No, but there's something about <laughs> having it in print that makes you official. And that's you true. Know, and to be able to hold it in your hand, you can sign some copies. That's exciting. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this is my quick, a quick recap. Here's a brief description. When Annie McGrath returns to her home in Cambridge, Massachusetts, after being on the road with her husband's band for 20 years, she moved back into her childhood bedroom to figure out how things in her life went so terribly wrong. Dottie McGrath welcomes Annie home and is happy to have someone else in the house besides her ailing husband. And when Annie seeks a compassionate listener in Father Lorenzo, her next-door neighbor and childhood best friend, in the confessional, the threads of Annie's life begin to unfurl. As Annie is a habitual cannabis consumer, throughout the story, cannabis is normalized and accepted, along with the unfolding story of Annie's secrets in order to upend the stigmas that have been created around cannabis use. So there you go. Mm. Mm. And what happens next? That's what I we want to know. So that's Did, it. Was there a reason why you chose the name Annie for the main character? I actually had Amy. Like when I first started it, it was A-M-I-E, like our friend Amy. And then yeah. it just got a little weird. So I changed it to Annie, really. That was, why do you ask? <laughs> it's just, it's a good name for a character. I think it it's, for a while, it seems like every movie Kevin Costner in, his love interest was named Annie. Field of Dreams, he falls in love with a woman named Annie. It's a, it um, kind of rings off here like Annie. Like it's a, maybe it's a multi-syllable thing. Yeah. It does. It, unfortunately, it's also my ex-wife's name, so it's a little oh. distracting. <laughs> but we're well, on good terms, me and Annie, so it's fine. Well, if you need me to change it, let me know. Okay. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't know that. All right. <laughs> So she's taking a break. Just remind you, it's a cannabis romance. I think it should be a whole new genre. If we're going to have wine and all these romances and chick flicks, we should have cannabis because we're just normalizing it. And that's what you do. You do it through culture and reading. People still read. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. That's part of my culture corner. That's great. There were there were cannabis movies in the 70s. They were all silly, like Cheech and Chong. There have been 
Pineapple Express was a more recent one that was also silly. And then I'm trying to think that I don't know of any like novels uh, of that ilk. There, there was the TV show Broad City, which I would maybe classify as a female. Yeah, um, they're crazy. In, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter was... used to watch that. I'm like, what are these girls? What? <laughs> yeah. Cannabis did play a big role in that. But yeah, I think you're striking new ground. So I'm excited. I do. So I keep putting it out there. Somebody, Somebody's going to take me up on it. All right. And then one more thing. An update on the hemp guitar. It's strung. And it is ready to play. There are videos, or actually there's a little composite on my Instagram site, and I am getting Josh Lampkin, the creator and builder, to make me some videos of him playing it, maybe smoking out of it. And I would love to have him doing like the Cannon Mom Show theme song on the hemp guitar, taking a drag off the bowl. I think that's hysterical. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I want, you got to get both in the same video. You got to get them playing a lick and then taking a hit. Wait, that almost <laughs> rhymes. I'll, I'll work on that. I'll workshop that. You work on that like as we're yeah. in the show. Okay. I am done. I mean, if he does do that, seriously, we'll put it on YouTube, which the, the Cannon Mom show is on YouTube if you're looking to see us, but it'll be up there if he's smoking and token and doing his thing. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> All right. On to our guest today. Today. Today's guest is the wife of the husband and wife team that founded Paper Crane Cannabis in August of 2019. They were both participants in Massachusetts' first social equity program, a program designed to offer training and benefits to those disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. Harnessing the great powers of nature and the knowledge that comes with decades of legacy cannabis experience, Paper Crane grows terpene-rich organic flour that is deeply rooted in both sustainability and social justice. And I'm a big fan of Paper Crane Cannabis, which was first introduced to me by her husband at the Bong of Bong and Pong event last spring that was hosted by my friends at STEM Cannabis and Haverhill. And I'm, in, you know, I'm looking forward to introducing you to her today. The products uh, Paper Crane is creating are great, and she's doing all other sorts of things to help our Massachusetts cannabis community. Please welcome to the Cannamom Show, Lisa Moriello. Welcome, my friend. Hi, thank you. So great to be here. All right. So um, we've met a few times in person. We've done some things, but let's just start. Before we learn your story, tell me just about Paper Crane. Where are you? What makes your cannabis so special? And then we can kind of go on to your story. Sure. Thanks. And thanks for the intro. So as you mentioned, we are an organic sun-grown farm. We're totally family owned. My husband and I founded it together in 2019. And we grow in a way that is really different from most cannabis that's grown in the state, which is indoors hydroponically much of it under like LED lights or even high pressure sodium lights. And these things are very costly energetically, financially. Um, we grow in a totally sustainable way, just directly outside. We do grow in a hoop house. We also grow directly in the ground. Um, and we love it because we can really focus our attention to the soil and we allow the sun to do its thing. And both of those factors are what really helps to bring out the true expression of the plant. So we feel that not only are we doing a solid by the environment, the community, we try to incorporate as many local farmers to buy our compost and things like that. We hire local farmers to come and help us out on the field when possible. So you're real, you're farmers. So I've been to some of these Farmer. facilities. They're, they're in a, they're, they're in industrial zones. They're inside buildings and they're doing this thing. So you're outside. So you're impacted by this crazy weather here in Mass. So where are you again? So we're in Central Mass in Hubbardston, which okay. is right off of Route 2 next to Gardner. 
Okay. So, so you come in and you say, Hey, we want to grow cannabis in the middle of this nice little bucolic community. And what do they say to you? We were, we were the first in, and they created the zoning and they wanted to, so it's a farming community and they wanted to license outdoor cultivation. And so I think that most of the community, you know, with exceptions, of course, like there will be in every uh, municipality, they were pretty welcoming and accepting because they also recognize that we're approaching this in a more agricultural kind of way that a lot of the other community is doing as well. There's so that's, that's so actually, I hadn't even thought about that. So when they, so Massachusetts towns could opt in or opt out for cannabis when it first passed. And were they thinking that people were going to come in and build warehouse? Like, did this community think that they would want cannabis in the beginning? And did they think they'd have to build a warehouse or something if they're going to accept it? I'm not really sure what what they had in mind, but they, they did the zoning and they created the zoning for outdoor cannabis. And it's funny because we're not just like in the middle of nowhere. We actually are in a more commercial area. Mm-hmm. Um, so people know where we are. They can smell it. The farm and we're, we're not that set far back, like from the road. So we're kind of right out there, but, and we have received some complaints from members of the community and so you know, smell. Because of the smell. It's always the smell. And our response is cannabis smells like there is an odor and that's a good thing. (laughs) We love it. We love it. I I, I do have a story about this in the beginning when I first got involved with this industry and I went for a tour of a a grow facility and I was asking the person who was showing me around, I'm like, well, I was very concerned about the smell. I'm like, "What what do you do about the smell? You must smell like this all day. And he's like, I love it. I'm like, what? I had never heard that before. So yeah, now I hear it more. All right. So you're in this town, you're doing your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk more about paper crane, but let's talk a little bit more about you, how you even got into this. So I mentioned you're part of the social equity program. You're doing this with your husband. So your husband's name is Bowie. That's right. So Bowie, I met at an event. How did you actually meet? Did you, did, was it love over cannabis? Did you find this out later? How did that work? <laughs> so, okay. So I met Bowie, oh my gosh, 2006 and it was love at first sight. Um, I can honestly say that as soon as he entered the room, I just had like a little flutter and I, I just had this kind of like a, just like a deep sense of knowing that he was just going to be very significant in my life. And, and we quickly became friends. We met at a yoga studio in Cambridge, actually. Nice. Yeah. We're going to talk about yoga in Cambridge later, but yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yoga has been kind of like a theme throughout our lives as well, as, as long as we've known each other. And so, yeah, at the time he was trafficking. I didn't know that right away, but we had a, a great friendship and fell in love. And Bowie was arrested in January of 2007 for 350 pounds Wow. Yeah, of weed. And was it in Massachusetts? Was this in Massachusetts? Massachusetts, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was in Natick, Mass. 50 pounds after the arrest went missing. So on the indictment, it was for 300 pounds. So go figure. Where did the... <laughs> go, but we can guess. And so, yeah, it was a really, obviously, very stressful time. So uh, is that, again, so, does, so Natick, is that where you guys are from? Is that your... or? Oh, so I was living in... No, that's just where his warehouse... Oh, okay, that's, okay, okay. 
Yeah. He was set up by somebody that was actually like a really close family friend that he had working with. Yeah, exactly. And talked him into doing like a heavier weight than he had ever done. So the other person had been like working with, with the state and federal task force. And he was arrested by the joint. So 2007 is way before legalization in Massachusetts. Oh yeah. 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 Exactly. And so Bowie actually comes from like, he's a second generation legacy trafficker. His dad, he grew up in South Florida, South of Miami, and his dad was a trafficker. If you can kind of imagine Miami in the eighties. So he's proud of that now, but you know, it took, were they growing it or just trafficking it? Did he know anything about? I think his dad was a grower, but he was trafficking from, Okay, but not like what you're doing now. Okay. So he was just Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, he grew up, and his name's Bowie. He grew up like in a very kind of hippie sort of lifestyle on an organic farm in South. Yeah. So he grew up organic farming. It's just been part of his entire life. And starting when he was about nine years old, in the summers, they would go to Northern California, where his dad had like, you know, really good friends, basically like an aunt and uncle to Bowie. And they were growers in the Humboldt area. Oh, wow. Classic. That's Yeah. Yeah. But he learned from some of the best there. So that just, it was very much part of his lifestyle and just like a normal part of his child growing up. So that's where he learned to grow in the style that we now grow in. So yeah, we have kind of like a medical, Cali medical style farm and that's how we approach it. Oh, that's Okay. So you have, all right. So he's got a very lengthy kind of history with cannabis. What was your, what was your relationship with cannabis before you got into the industry? So I was just a a lover of cannabis. I started smoking pot in high school, probably around, I don't know, 16 years old or something. I just found that it benefited me tremendously. I was kind of like a high strung type A, like overachiever type and like way too young to be that stressed out. (laughs) You know, I'm feeling all of the pressures that are put on young women. And and I just felt this tremendous relief by, by smoking pot. And it just, it really did help for me to put things into perspective. And and did you get, were you a kid who got pushed back from her family? Did you have to hide it from everybody? Were you ashamed that you had to do it even though you were using it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. All of it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So this was like in the mid nineties. I graduated high school in 95. So this was like even kind of early-ish nineties. So yeah, there was still just, we were just like on the heels of like dare. And I grew up in a really traditional family, like very much the opposite. And so, yeah, I totally hit it, but it wasn't that hard. I mean, my parents did now, I think easily by the time I was but in it wasn't, But it wasn't your, you're more of a typical, I would say that's more of a typical story that a kid who consumes it and recognizes it's doing something, maybe doesn't really know it's really good for them, but doesn't really want to drink. And I don't know, we just, you kind of, you're listening to your body. Plus you're in yeah. yoga. So this is okay. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay. So, all right. So you're sort of the social equity program. So you were connected to this, I assume because of his arrest. So how did that move forward? And how did you decide that you wanted to get into this industry? Cause there's a big gap between 2007 and 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Bowie did a two and a half to three year prison sentence. He ended up going away and we stayed together throughout that period. And so he was released in 2010 and then we got married and started our family. And then actually before the medical comes around, there was just a few years in between that the licensing for medical began and 
at that time, we were actually not able to get into any type of licensure for medical because of his arrest. Mm. But we, he started growing again. We got our medical cards. And so we just like blew up the backyard with plants. And All right, so we're, again, we're in Massachusetts, which isn't like that many seasons to grow in. So you're really committed to this. You're like, this is something I want to do. And I'm going to stay in this state. And I'm going to figure out how to do it. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. It was truly like a passion and we're caregivers. That's how we've kind of always seen what we do is before cannabis was legal recreationally, there was still a demand for it. Both of us having experienced the benefits of cannabis, we felt that that was just an important thing to do. So yeah, there's always a level of risk involved, but we would grow in our backyard. And But you weren't like, so this isn't how you make your living. So you were actually, what were you doing? What were you doing before you started the business? What I, I mean, owned, what did, yeah. I owned a yoga studio. Oh, so, okay. So you had a, you were a small business owner. All right. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. I, I did have some experience. Yeah. Owning and being a business before. I mean, this uh, is completely different. But. No, I know, but whatever. Cannabis is like the real world, but upside down, we have everything, but you got to be specialized in it. And you guys are pioneers. That's the truth. Especially if you were early social equity. So yeah. So you applied, so you decided this is something you want to commit to. Yeah. Jumping in. Okay. Exactly. We learned about the social equity program through, I just randomly met somebody, we were talking about cannabis and he was aware of that Shailene title, shout out to Shailene, the true pioneer, that she was forming the social equity program. And we kind of just waited and watched. And as soon as those applications came out for the equity program, we submitted. Really? So that's like 2000, when did you actually apply? The 2016, 2000? No, it was later. I want to say 2018. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so that's kind of how it began at the very first social equity meeting. It was like the orientation Bowie met somebody else that was interested in starting something and pointed us in the direction of central mass. Cause we had been looking at land like out, we live in, in Bedford, like, yeah, not far out of the city and everything around here is just completely unaffordable. And so he pointed us in the direction of central mass and we just really fell in love with the area, particularly those more agricultural towns and knowing that we would want to do something. It was always going to be organic. It was always going to be sun and, and you're adding value to the communities. That's, I mean, so I am in Massachusetts. I've sort of seen people growing this from the beginning and I have heard a lot of those stories about where to put, where to put your investor um, time when you're trying to get these uh, agreements because the host agreements, the towns have a lot of power over whether or not you're going to get your license. So yeah, so that's a, uh, so, and you found that town that wanted you. And so what did you gain through the social equity program? Like what sort of benefits did it give you? Did it help you? Did you actually know what you're going to do? Did you know you're going to have a grow? That did- uh, yeah. So they, when you have like different tracks, when you go into the, the equity program and mm-hmm. we right away, we knew that we were going to participate in the entrepreneurship track um, and we knew that we were experienced enough to have our own grow. And so when we actually secured the land for our prop- property in Hubbardston, we got a bunch of licenses. So we have co-located on our property provisionals for retail manufacturing. And then we got an indoor provisional as well that will maybe or maybe not ever act- activate. We might just do it just for reasons for like propagation and things like that. And so, yeah, so we might at some point, hopefully in the near future, activate those manufacturing and retail licenses. But you um, had the, but that, so is that a benefit of going through the social equity opportunity? Oh, yeah. Or was like, yeah. Yeah. No, in terms of the equity program, I would say just the benefits were just 
I mean, for us, like the most obvious one is making that connection that helped to point us in the direction mm-hmm. of our land. Cause he had, this person had already kind of vetted like a bunch of properties and just like very sort of like already like tapped into the community where we began um, our license process. And so that was just like a fast track for us. I think if we were starting from just kind of like looking around the state, trying to figure out where to go, he really helped to pave the way um, in the town of Hubbardson for us. So that was a huge benefit. In terms of like the other things that the program offers, we have like reduced application fees. That's awesome. The licenses are expedited. Outdoor cultivation is anyway. I think that the the priority that you get as an equity application applicant is is huge. So that helped to cut down on the time because that's like when was is when they're waiting on their application and they're paying for either a lease or just yep. on the property. So that was a, a real benefit as well. So have you seen, I know, so Massachusetts, we are early in New England. I don't know if you're involved with any of the policy stuff going on in other states, but can you see other states looking at Massachusetts, trying to figure out what we did that worked, what doesn't work? Like, for the social equity part specifically, have you seen any interest in what we're doing and how um, it can be made better? <laughs> or I don't see it enough. I don't, yeah. some of the surrounding states, I don't think that they're modeling. I know New York is trying. We have so much going on in Massachusetts as with the CCC and things that are just in a state of a upheaval. So I haven't looked, but you know, when I have, I know New Jersey, there are a lot of really great advocates out there that are are doing some good work, but I would like to see really robust equity programs in all of the states that have legal cannabis. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel so strongly that it is like the legacy folks that created this industry. As I was saying before, it's there was an industry. It wasn't legal, but it was thriving. And so those of us that were growing, trafficking, all of those things helped to really create this industry. But so because I, I I talked to a lot of women out in California and the Humboldt County and like Pacific Northwest, which yeah. I grew up in New England. So I thought everyone was buttoned up and weird and puritanical like us. But everyone out there was like having a doing their cannabis. They all had a whole lifestyle thing. But I really never thought about what was going on in the East Coast. Like, of course, there was still stuff going on here. It just wasn't part of my periphery. I just didn't know. Yeah, right. It was not out in the open very much. Yeah. behind. That's so funny. All right, let's switch gears. We talked a little bit about yoga. So that is partly how I've met you is through the yoga and cannabis events through um, the dinner at Mary's and all this stuff that goes on. So you want to tell people a little bit about maybe how you got involved with that, what it is, if they want to go to one, how do they do that, all of it? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I was connected to Sam, Samantha Cantor, who is the founder and owner of Dinner at Mary's that hosts the Canna Yoga classes through one of our founding members, Ben Sandroff, and they both came from like the kind of restaurant, you know, industry. So they had been orbiting each other for a while. So I was able to connect with Sam and she has been putting on events. We actually just earlier this week went to a dinner, like an elevated dinner that Mm. she, that she threw. It was amazing. I highly recommend it. And so she's been doing events and, and also has a catering company is in a fantastic event planner. And so when we linked up, I think we just became fast friends, had a lot of kind of shared interests, but also like our vision for what the industry can do, because we're probably not like the most typical kind of cannabis users or what people think of as like the stoner sort of Mm -hmm. stereotype. 
I'm a mom. She's a woman. We're both really interested in making cannabis um, more accessible to other women and helping to reduce that stigma. And so um, we saw an opportunity together through the events um, and particularly through um, combining cannabis and yoga to just create a really cool experience and to help to yeah normalize. And, just- and I, I have talked to so I went with my daughter a couple of months ago and she does yoga. I do not. So. Yeah. And you do consume while you're there. So I was a little confused because I don't really know what's going on, but she was great. I just kept looking to see what she was doing. (laughs) No, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. I think that we can welcome like both people that are new to yoga, but also maybe are just kind of in that can of curious sort of place that are newer cannabis users as well. And it's just a really welcoming environment. It's really open. It's been very diverse. Like we've just been thrilled with how. And you're, um, and so you're actually there. So you're talking about your products. Are you seeing yeah. people who are now, again, part of cannabis issue is marketing. I mean, it's hard to get your name out there because how, how are people going to find you? So I know you're you really invested in a lot of different things, but these events are really important because like I tried the product because I saw your husband and it's yeah. sort of, so you're really like doing this old fashioned one-on-one going to events, talking to people, doing your thing. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. And I think it's effective and it's really rewarding for us. Cultivation um, as just like a license type can be kind of insular. Like it's not like operating a retail store where you have like a lot of brands coming to you, a lot of mm-hmm. other industry people coming to you when you're growing, especially the style that we grow, it's full on. <laughs> like there's not a lot of bandwidth for other things. And so for us to be able to connect with like the end user, like the customers and consumers of our products is incredible. So to like get that, like that feedback, especially in the moment, like the vibe that's set, I try to be like intentional about like the strains that we bring to Canna Yoga and just like setting, setting a, a tone and a vibe. It's just incredible. But yeah, we're really into kind of like the grassroots marketing. And I know, so I know that where I, I went to the one that was across from the Heritage Club, mm-hmm. right? So are you doing them in other places or where else are you doing them in the state or, cause that's, in, that's technically Boston, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We've done them like privately in homes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, And that's great because there's kind of a gray area as we're all awaiting the regs for social consumption (laughs) to be written and released. So we love doing them in private residences because then it just totally mitigates like any sort of anxiety about the sort of gray area of things. So can I back up on that a little bit? So this could be like a girl's night out. This could be like, I don't know, a wedding thing. I don't know, like a thing that you do with your friends and you all kind of get together and you hire you guys, you come and this is, that's a nice way to spend some time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's funny. Okay, yeah. Let's see what time is it. Oh, I got some minutes. Okay. Switching gears again. So your family, you said you're a mom. I know you have family. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe just your initial. So maybe starting with your family when you were younger, what was their reaction when they found out this is where you're heading down this road? And then I talk a lot about moms and caregivers and how we talk to our own kids and how we're perceived as moms and caregivers. So we can yeah. go into that next. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So when I was with Bowie, when he went away to prison, I didn't tell my family. It was so awkward. I was like, oh yeah, my boyfriend moved away. All right. Um, So as a mom of like a young woman, I can't even imagine what your parents were going through. Okay. Now that you're a mom though, you're like, what? (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, they knew that he was from Miami. And so I said he was like back in Miami. And it, because if it's funny to think about now, it's just like, it seems so silly. But at that time, coming from like a pretty traditional family and the stigma just being what it was just really intense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, I was really empowered by like one therapist that I had at that time that was like, you don't owe anybody like an explanation of like where he is or so at the time I just, I didn't have the courage to like tell the truth and they didn't know him well enough for that to also just be like part of the picture of like who he was. I felt like they would never really embrace. How old were you? How, how old are you at the time? 30. Oh, you're older. Okay. So you weren't like a young was, girl. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was 30. We met in like our late twenties, but at this time, yeah. Oh, okay. So you weren't like, like an 18 year old who's just said, Hey mom, my boyfriend just went to jail and I'm going to hang out with him. No, you're a grown ass woman. You know what you're doing. Oh yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, this is my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> and I want, yeah, like I said, I, I just really wanted them to get to know him for who he was and not have this like kind of stain. I, I, I'm down with you. I understand yeah. that. <laughs> so, yeah. And so then my parents found out after we were married, I think actually while I was pregnant and my mom was really upset because she felt like that she had been kind of betrayed. But she at that time was like, I don't care because I love you so much. So I think that she was just hurt that I didn't confide in her, but it was also like water under the bridge because by that time she knew and loved him and that was what I wanted. Right. And then she unfortunately died shortly after that, just soon after the birth of my son, he was around, well, no, I'm sorry. He was a year when she was diagnosed with like a very rare and aggressive leukemia. And then she died within Mm. one year. So she didn't get to see paper crane. I know. Yeah. She didn't get to see (laughs) kind of get legs or even form at all. But my dad has been just like one of the biggest supporters, early supporters, since the moment we said, we're going to go for this. He's been behind us all the way and, and still is. So well, that's um, awesome. Okay. And so in your children, how old are they now? So I have a son that's nine and I have a daughter who is six. Okay. So they're old enough to know what mommy and daddy do and they're involved and you're in a kind of conservative, you're not in yeah. Massachusetts. You're a conservative neighborhood in Cambridge, in Massachusetts. All right. So does everyone know what you do and how, what do they, how do the kids talk about? I'm like, I don't know. They, the kids who just know what's going on, they don't care. It's just mom and dad's um, job. <laughs> yeah. They've been around this plant, like as long as they've been alive, we've always had plants mm-hmm. in our, our backyard and just in our gardens, like even in our vegetable gardens, there's like a plant over here and one over there. And then we've had just like dedicated like cannabis gardens. So they're like really uninterested in like green leafy things. Like (laughs) they're not, they're not interested in this plant. They know that it's cannabis. They know that it's like coffee. They know that it's like wine. They know it's a grown up thing and they'll come back to that like later on. And that's how we talk about it. I really do put it in the bucket of coffee and wine. That's Um, a good one. Yeah, because that's so like just pervasive in our culture and it's accepted. And I think of it the same. I really do think of it. I mean, I was growing up, I could literally wear a shirt, wine mom to the school and no one would even flinch. They'd be proud of me. And, but I do have can of mom chef now, but back in the day, I would have, I saw a can of mom walking around my school. I would have been horrified. Like, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yep. It's, I do have to like, I still pause like when I'm heading, my kids are really active in sports and like if I'm wearing like a, a, 
a weed shirt, like a, even a paper crane shirt or something else. Like I kind of have that moment where I'm like, should I change? And then I'm like, no. But I'm do you smell? Do you like have the smell on you for being in the cultivation area? Stink. Like as soon as I, <laughs> I'm not always like aware of it. And then, but when I open the dryer to take out the laundry, that smell just like wafts out and it really hits you. Like I said, so I actually I had a question because this, this happened to other moms. So do you have this people at school need to know what you do? Cause your kids stuff, they could open up their bag and they could be like, they're seven, they're trafficking. Like, what do you, do you have to like tell everyone? Yeah. <laughs> Probably, you know, I, I don't, it's not, I don't like Trump out there, but I don't hide it. We're right. really proud. We're entrepreneurs. So when people ask me what I do, um, especially when it's like potential, like early friendships that my kids are making and the other parents are like, what do you do? I never hide it because I also feel like if you're not accepting of this, it's legal, then like, I don't really want to be friends anyway. Okay. I, you I, know? So, I'm so, so back to like, all right. I have a couple more questions. All right. How about just women in cannabis? So I talk a lot about this. I try to be a role model for people who may not think this is something for them. You do the same thing. What are you seeing at Paper Crane? What are women asking for? And are you making, I think you're just flower now, but are you making any products that are specifically for moms, stressed out moms or menopause or any of the other witty things that 50% of the population suffers from yet people seem to ignore? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would love to do something like that um, product-wise. Um, we we do a couple of different products. Our kind of main thing is pre-rolls. We don't do a bagged flower and we made a, a really conscious decision to to not do that because we wanted to take like all of our best buds and put them into pre-rolls because we were- That's interesting because I do think your pre-rolls are so good. So that's sort of an interesting difference. That, and you can't buy your flower unless it's- do you sell the leftovers or seconds or? We we don't. We're yeah. going to get into doing maybe like a little bit for like bud bars or people have been asking us for pre-ground. Yeah. Um, that seems to be like a higher kind of, there's like a demand for that product in some of the more like financially constrained populations. And I think that that would be like a great way to also, like we're really into like making this accessible. Growing outdoors like helps with the, the cost. So we love that we're able to offer like a really beautiful, high quality organic product. Unlike in a grocery store where it'd be like twice as much, we can actually sell it for even maybe a little bit less than what those. Oh, they're always, and I'll say I buy a lot of pre-rolls and I always ask if I see it in the, if it's displayed out or if I ask for it, they're always, yes, very comp. Yeah, they're always comparable and nothing. And there's, and the idea that it's being rolled from, well, it's like a first press for olive oil, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, we, we have leaned into the, the pre-roll category really hard because, because of that, when we've shied away from doing a bag flower, cause we want to put like all those top buds, like a lot of companies put shake and trim into their pre-rolls and save their best buds, like for their bag flower. So we decided let's just put the really good stuff into the pre-rolls, which will make them really tasty. So that's kind of our main thing. And we're getting into doing like multi-packs and want to do more. Oh, I love multi-packs. Yeah. 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 We just did a collab with Pioneer Valley for an M80 and it was a great success. They sold out like instantly. So we'd love to do another round of some infused pre-rolls. And I don't think in terms of like what we're selling, that it's anything that's like geared specifically towards women. But one of the things that I was really interested in was just making like the packaging, like I more and friendly. It's colorful. Like to me, it's really appealing as a woman because oh, I agree. Know, 
the design. And so we work with, I have to shout out um, James Weinberg, who is our graphic designer. And he's been a friend of mine for a long time now. Yeah. His style is just like, it's really friendly and fun. And I was like, this is rec weed. Like this should be fun. Everything still. I like that. It's friendly, friendly and fun. And why the paper crane? I never asked why the, why, where the name came from. Thanks for asking. Great question. So after Bowie was arrested, we got to folding a lot of paper cranes. So you may have heard there's a Japanese legend. I've got some origami paper here. My kids fold them now. (laughs) There's a Japanese legend that if you fold a thousand paper cranes, it's good luck after that yeah thousandth crane and really it just serves as like a meditation for the hands for the mind when you're really stressed if there's something that you can just kind of do to not kind of go to like the worst case scenario and keep keep your hands and your mind busy so that was yeah that was the the meaning behind the name and what's really cool is that ben who's one of our co-founders he was bowie's roommate when when um bo was arrested and bowie went to prison i went back to my apartment and and ben moved out everybody kind of dispersed like from where we were living but i didn't know ben kept the cranes and when we formed the company and we tapped ben and we were like we'd love to have you on the team because he's also a really experienced cultivator he came from wine and liquor he had just like a lot of great experience And he showed up with like the bags of the cranes and we just felt like it was an incredible omen because it was after like, gosh, 12 to 15 years or something. It was like a long later. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. No, it was about 12 years. So yeah, it was great. So we were, we felt like that was just a wonderful omen. That that is a good omen. Oh, it gave me the chills. I love mm-hmm. that. All right. That's exciting. I'm out of time. All right. One more question. Anything special in the works for 2024? I know I've seen you at events. I seen you. I seen your husband. So what? anything in 2024 that's coming up or anything that you're planning that you want people to know about? We're really excited. We've just brought our production in-house. We were using Garden Remedies to co-pack and now we've taken the production in-house. They did a fantastic job, but we're able now to just have a little bit more. Oh, that's funny because Garden, you kind of have the same vibe. The, the packaging kind of has that same fun yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think for that reason, a lot of stores were like confused. Like I would see oh. products on their menu listed as garden remedies and never insulted by that. But we're at a point where we really want to stand on our own and stand apart, create more brand awareness. And there's some traction behind the brand right now. People are beginning to really, really dig it. So I'm just excited about that and to expand our offerings. Like I said, moving into more multi-packs and infused and hopefully get that manufacturing license activated in the next year. And then hopefully a retail store too, since we do have a provisional for that. And it's, as I mentioned, right there on the same location as our farm. So it'll be like a true farm to table type of experience. We want to do like a little farm stand. Oh yeah. Which would be so cute. Oh, I love that. You could like combine it with like a bike trip through like central Massachusetts. Oh, awesome. This is good. (laughs) Exactly. So when you come to the store during the season, you'll be able to like, you know, just smell the flowers. I wish there was like a view right to the fields, but we'll do some cams and things like that. So you can get a little window into the farm. And yeah, I think again, just like connecting people back to the fact that like, this is a plant and we want to really help to kind of bring that point home because the way that cannabis has been grown and sold, it's like been really commoditized 
And we want to really bring it back to like a more kind of rootsy sort of approach to this plant out of respect for the plant. Yes. We're like the Lorax. We're speaking for the plant. We like yeah. <laughs> You're speaking for the plant. All right. That's amazing. All right. So you want to try her products, Paper Crane, if you're interested, how do they connect with you? If they want to do the yoga, how do they connect with you? And how do they get people, if they want it in their stores or retail, if for some reason they don't know you exist yet, how do they connect with you? Okay. Well, our website um, is a great way to find us, papercranecannabis.com. I also, I run our Instagram account. So my favorite way to connect with people is through Instagram at papercranecannabis. If you send a DM, you'll get me and it's just a great way to, yeah, to connect, say hi, give feedback. If you've tried our products, let me know. I can let you know where to find our products. We're in more and more stores every day. So yeah. And then if you want to do like, if you're a lady out there, get some friends, you want to do a yoga event, they connect with you, they connect with Sam. How do they connect with the yoga stuff? So at Dinner at Mary's is Sam's Instagram account. And I know she'd be thrilled to hear from anybody that would be interested in doing something like that. If you reach out to me, I can also loop her in. She is like the organizer. So she brings kind of the structure and organization. I just bring the weed. So reach <laughs> Every, everybody's adds their value in their own way, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. All right. So that's another show. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Some of that I didn't know, some of it I, I did. So I'm glad I've got to out to the people. And I do I do love the paper crane products. They are adorable, the packaging, and they're good. So there we go. All right. So that's another show for my guest, Lisa Moriello, and of course my Canna Bro David Yaz and our Canna Mom Show team. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Canna Mom Show, where we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on the emerging cannabis industry by sharing and preserving their stories of love, kindness, wisdom, and hope. Thank you for sharing so that together we will crush that stigma around cannabis and caregivers. I'm your host, Joyce Gerber. This is the Cannabis Mom Show, and we are a production of Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodCon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at The Talking Hedge podcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.